And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam, hosted by Andrew Schlicht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. Click, click. With questions and participants from all around the world. Anthony Edwards! Put that on a poster! Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Back is I missed this shot. I walk away. I'm still a chump. Here's Andrew. Welcome to the Saturday Slam and Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. Go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get the athletic for a discounted rate. Alex, it's been a big week in the NBA. Can you please just tell us what happened? Well, Andrew, it all started last Friday night when the Washington Wizards dominated the Memphis Grizzlies 115 to 87 just hours after I had predicted them as this year's fake surprise team they made me look like an absolute fool as they would continue to do the rest of the week finishing the week 3-0 now 8-3 and on top of the Eastern Conference on Saturday the surging 76ers beat the Chicago Bulls in Chicago, 114 to 105. Unfortunately, Joel Embiid would contract COVID, sending the Sixers on a three-game skid with a skeleton crew on the court. The good news is that any fears I had about Tyrese Maxey's ability to make a jump in his sophomore season were completely answered. Yes, he can, and he is already doing so. On Sunday, the surprise, but not to me, Cleveland Cavaliers got a convincing win over the New York Knicks with a career-high 37 points from Ricky Rubio. The bad news is the Cavs are going to need a lot more of that scoring from Rubio because it was announced on Monday that Colin Sexton has a torn meniscus. On Monday night, we had the biggest fight of the season thus far, a game of extreme pushing between Nikola Jokic and Markeith Morris during a Nuggets win over the Heat. Jokic would end up getting suspended for one game while Markeith and his yelling friend Jimmy Butler would get large fines. (laughs) On Tuesday night, The nobody believes in us, but everybody respects us. Utah Jazz beat the Atlanta Hawks, sending the Hawks to their fifth straight loss. Atlanta is now 4-8 and and ahead of only Orlando and Detroit in the Eastern Conference. On Wednesday night is one of the handful of nights each season when Andrew Wiggins is playing a team that slighted him in some way, and he suddenly looks awesome. The former Timberwolf had 35 points, including two poster dunks on former teammate Carl Anthony Towns. Meanwhile, Anthony Edwards had a career-high 48 points in the loss to the Warriors. And finally, on Thursday night, the enigmatic Indiana Pacers, who are 5-8 and and will be our Wheel of Phantom team one of the next two weeks, decided to go out and beat the Utah Jazz in Utah, where Utah had previously been unbeaten. I continue to have no idea what the Pacers are. What a week it was, Andrew. <laughs> and some a little bit of like hugging or dancing or whatever you want to call it. It was that was weird. The Gobert Turner thing. It was it was very weird. weird. It was very weird. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what to call it. Uh Al 
I got to talk about the Chicago Bulls. And I know they were just talked about on Nerdist She Wrote on Friday, but I have more. The Bulls are 8-3. and three. They're tied for first in the Eastern Conference as of today. They're third in net rating, sixth in defense, sixth in offense. And I just need to know, who do you think is number one in if the efficiency differential stat, according to Cleaning the Glass, for the Chicago Bulls? So, like, the net rating? Yes. So, who has, like, the best net rating? The best. The, the best. The best. Well, I'll throw, out, I'll throw out Alex Caruso, who was on the old man in three this week, saying that the Lakers only offered him two years, $15 million or less than that? Was it him? I've got some I've got some Caruso stats later, but it's not. It's DeMar DeRozan plus 20.3. And I know I know what you're thinking that this is probably on the offensive end only. I mean, he's averaging 26 points, 5 boards, 3.8 assists per game, but no, Al. Through 11 games, and I know it's early, but DeRozan is in the 97th percentile in opponent points per possession according to cleaning the glass. Something is really working for DeMar. It could be Billy Donovan, who is no stranger to getting vets to outperform people think of them. I think about Dennis Schroeder before he got to Oklahoma City. He was thought to be a curmudgeon and a guy that wasn't going to compete on defense. He kind of flipped that around, but now that he's not with Billy, it's kind of meandered back to what people thought of him before. Uh, Even Chris Paul, who was thought to be completely washed when he got to OKC, like way outperformed and got his career back on track there. Uh, Billy is great with like a hodgepodge group of vets. That that last year he was with the Thunder, I thought he did a tremendous job. Not many people thought they would even sniff the playoffs then, and they were good. Billy has never coached a team that wasn't in the top half of the league in defense. So last season he had the Bulls at 12th overall, and when you look at the overall personnel of the Bulls, it was pretty astounding that they did that. So they're seventh in deflections. They're seventh in loose balls recovered. Now, Alex, Caruso leads the team in deflections at 47 on the season. That's good for third overall. Only Gary Trent Jr. and Fred Van Vliet have more deflections this season. But who do you think is second on the team in deflections, Al? Well, I feel like you're setting me up here. It has to be DeMar DeRozan then. No, it's oh, Vooch. Vooch has 33, but guess who's third, Al? Uh, DeMar DeRozan. No, it's Lonzo Ball at 28, but guess who's fourth, Al? Okay, well, it can't be DeMar DeRozan, obviously, so uh, uh, Tony Bradley. It's DeMar DeRozan. He has 24 deflections on the season. That's only four less than Lonzo Ball, who's this, supposed to be this defensive wizard. But DeRozan is helping on that end. Opponents are shooting 43% against DeRozan this season. That's the sixth best player on the team. And now I'm really not trying to prove that DeRozan is some kind of all-defensive type of player, but I'm just illustrating that he's not the liability that many people thought he was. Right. Now, looking at the offensive end, according to Synergy, he's at 1.02 points per possession in the half court. In the eyes of Synergy, that is very good. Uh, The mid-range shot is falling for him. Amongst players that take three or more shots from 10 to 14 feet per game, DeRozan is fourth overall in field goal percentage, shooting 53% on those shots. That's ahead of only Tyler Hero, Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant from that area this season. And then in transition, he's been incredible at 1.41 points per possession, which in the eyes of Synergy, that is excellent in the 87th percentile. So Al, the word on DeRozan was that he was, it was too much money, too much to give up for him, and that the Bulls might even just be better off without him there. Uh, Here's some quotes from some NBA executives in the offseason after the Bulls made this move. 
This is from a Western Conference executive. Giving up another first to overpay DeRozan was the worst over-the-top move to get behind. And then an Eastern Conference scout said this, I like the fit on the court, but they better win because if they don't, you're expensive and you're a bad team that can't rebuild. To the scout, they're winning. And while it's early, I just want no more DeMar DeRozan slander. I'm just over it because he's been really good for them. He's been helping this Bulls team that is finally back. I mean, he's a hooper, Andrew. Is he's it, a hooper. Isn't that what the problem is? There's some people who don't like hoopers. <laughs> and it's be, so. being held against him for much of his career. I mean, the, yeah. the Bulls are incredible. And and the the bummer, of course, is that, of course, Patrick Williams is out for the year. And now uh, Vucevic is entering the COVID protocols. So they're starting mm-hmm. front line, just gone. I had mm-hmm. jokingly mentioned Tony Bradley. He's going to have to play significant minutes for them in He'll the coming play. weeks. We'll see what happens. You know, they're going to stay afloat. They have enough good players. Mm-hmm. Um but but I'm I'm still interested to see where this team ends up at the end of the year. Like I, I don't know if I fully believe that they're going to end up as like a top three seed just yet. Yeah, I I don't. I actually don't believe that that's where they'll be. I think they'll be four, five, six in that range. Yeah, I think that that they can be that kind of team, which is a huge improvement. But also like the DeRozan thing has worked so much better than anybody thought it would, and some of it is that. Like the way that all the officiating has changed, like it it helps a guy like Demar, and I think that it, that has you know proven to be true, you know since the start of the season. Now, can he continue to play this efficiently? Can he continue to be active on the defensive end? I think those are questions to be had, but you know so far so good for Demar. Well, and they also have two leading candidates for why did you let this guy go again? In Alex Crusoe and Lonzo Ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the the Alex Caruso story this week was was so interesting because, of course, you see some Lakers fans who who don't want to give in to this idea that that was a bad move will say, well, we, we they did it for THT. They they wanted to keep THT. Just the idea that the Lakers, this multi billion dollar franchise, has to decide they don't have to choose. No, they can have every they can have anyone. You just pay them. It's so dumb, and he would be great right now. And then on the flip side, with Lonzo Ball, especially when you look at what they got back for Lonzo Ball. Sadoransky and Garrett Temple, like, you know, that's the big return. <laughs> Guys that you can legitimately say maybe shouldn't even be in the league. Possibly, possibly. And if they are going to be on a team, they're probably going to be on like a one in 10 team like the Pelicans. It's yeah. uh, yeah, they, they just, I, I was skeptical this summer. I mean, I liked the Lonzo yeah. moves and the Alex Caruso move, but I was admittedly skeptical about the DeMar DeRozan move because that was kind of like the final piece of the puzzle yeah. for them at the end of the summer. And so far... It's incredible. Yeah. I just would ask, like, now that you're now that I've watched this team, I just wonder if he wasn't on the team and then also Pat Williams goes out, where are you getting those other twenty six points? True. Yeah. You know, efficiently. It would like, be a much different story. They might still be a good defensive team, but I don't think they're nearly as scary. Yeah, definitely not. Uh well, on the flip side, Andrew, this week I wanted to talk about a team that uh, I've been thinking about a lot lately, and that is the Minnesota Timberwolves. Because it seems like just yesterday, the Wolves were 3-1. and one. They were coming off a big win against the Bucks on the road. At that time, we were talking about the Wolves' new defensive scheme, which had them ranked as the third best defense in the league. Every <laughs> podcast was dedicating a segment to the feel-good Wolves. And what happened next, Andrew? Well, after a 123-110 loss to Golden State on Wednesday night, the Wolves are now 3-7, and seven, losers of six straight. This has all occurred with the 30th ranked strength of schedule. 
easiest schedule in the league. Now, to be fair to the Wolves, they played the Rockets and the Pelicans twice, who have a combined two wins. So that's obviously a big influence on that strength of schedule. And yeah. let's also be honest. If the Wolves had just beaten the Pelicans and the Magic like they should have, this team would be 5-5, five and five, and I likely wouldn't be talking about them today. Because their other five losses have been the Nuggets, the Clippers twice, the Grizzlies, and Golden State. Perfectly normal, acceptable losses from the outside perspective. But because they did lose to the Pelicans and the Magic, and as a result are now the third worst team in the Western Conference, I think it's worth taking a look at what's going on with this team. Yeah. Let's start with the offense. Now, Cat is having a nice start this season, averaging 23-10. and 10. He's shooting an insane 47% from three on seven attempts per game. Anthony Edwards in his second season is averaging 26 points per game, despite some questionable shot selection. And he had a career-high 48 experience point explosion against the Warriors uh, that I mentioned earlier, where he really showcased the best of what he can be offensively. Despite these bright spots, the Wolves currently have the 25th ranked offense. And that is especially disappointing because once D'Angelo Russell came back on April 5th last season, the Timberwolves had a top 10 offense the rest of the year. So we were thinking, okay, you get these three guys together, you have Chris Finch, everything's in place, and we saw that team be a top 10 offense that last month of the season. Now they're 25th. The most glaring issue, as it is for many teams right now, is poor shooting. Minnesota's offense relies heavily on the three-pointer, which the Wolves are taking more threes per game, 44.4, than any other team in the league. And while Cat has been incredible from three, isn't really the case for the rest of the roster. Outside of Patrick Beverly, who's shooting 38.5% from three, no other Wolves player is shooting better than 35% from three right now. And as a result, they rank 22nd in three-point percentage as a team. And perhaps the most obvious area of improvement is with the corner three, where they are currently shooting a league-worst 26%, over five percentage points lower than the next-worst team. And that's while taking the ninth most corner threes per game in the league. The offense gets really bad when it gets to clutch time, when things slow down and the Wolves begin to run more isolation. 71.4% of their field goals in clutch time are unassisted, which is fourth highest in the league. This has led to a negative 45.5 net rating in clutch time, which is only better than the New Orleans Pelicans. On defense, things haven't completely fallen off a cliff, but it's certainly not the dominant force it was in the early season, which it should be mentioned was at a time again when they were playing the Pelicans twice, along with a game against Houston. The new-look defense is now 17th overall in the league. One of their most promising defenders, Jaden McDaniels, has fouled out in three of the past five games, and his foul trouble has cost him significant minutes. One of the games, he was only able to play 13 minutes because he, has got, he had gotten so many fouls. Now, one of the reasons I find this team so interesting is because of an article in the Min Post by Britt Robson called The Dread Zone, How a History of Failure Continues to Sabotage the Wolves. It is such a good piece, and you can go read it for free, because it puts everything that's going on currently with the Wolves in the larger context of what the franchise has been doing the last two decades. Britt details all the baggage attached to this franchise because of their futility and how that baggage could negatively affect this current team. And I think that's what I find so interesting about the Wolves because it is completely reasonable to say things like, hey, Anthony Edwards is only in his second season. We haven't even seen 82 games of D'Angelo Russell as a Timberwolf. Chris Finch just coached his 50th game as an NBA head coach. 
All of those things are true and suggest that I and everyone else should be patient with the Wolves. But it is so hard to be patient with this franchise. When they're 3-7 and seven with the easiest schedule in the league during a season when many expected them to finally do something, how do you not start wondering about Cat's future and the future of this team? And when you start wondering about their future, you remember their past and what they're trying to escape and you start feeling anxious because any significant change to the roster likely represents another rebuild, which sounds terrifying. So then you're back at the beginning trying to talk yourself into this team this year, which is becoming equally as terrifying. I want the Wolves to be good, Andrew, but I have no (laughs) idea what the path to get there is going to look like or what it should be. And the last thing I wanted to say is... There's a great podcast from this past week featuring Britt Robson. It's called The Dane Moore NBA Show. He's a beat writer for the uh, Wolves. Go check out that episode. They do an hour on the Wolves, and they really get into like the nitty-gritty details about what's going on with this team offensively and defensively that I don't have time to go into depth here. It is really good if you kind of want like a state of the union of what is going on with the Wolves right now. I'm just – I'm eternally fascinated by this team because – I just don't know where they're going, where they're headed, what they should do. I have, I like, I have no opinion on it. Yeah, I mean, they've already pushed a, a one of those like horrific fast forward buttons that you should never press whenever they traded for D'Angelo Russell. Right, like thinking like this is going to get us to the next level, and in the process, they lose a lottery pick. They lose the seventh pick in the draft. Like they don't have to take Jonathan Kaminga. Like Kaminga's not helping this team. But like if they took Franz Wagner at seven and added Franz Wagner to this team, like that helps significantly because Franz is the the kind of player that they need. Somebody that just links everybody together, makes open shots, makes the right kind of passes. They just don't have anybody like that on the team. They really that don't. is helping like glue their stars together. Like that's what they need. And having Wiggins and a guy like Franz Wagner instead you could argue they'd be in a much better position than they are today. They've just made choices along the way that are that are keeping them from being successful because you look at every other like really good team in the league, they have players like that. They have good role players like that. Like who who on the Timberwolves is doing that for them? I I mean before the season, I mean I was excited about certain guys on the team. I was excited about Jaden McDaniels. Um yeah. you know, you think Josh Okogi can be a good defender. Like Malik Beasley, like you can imagine a scenario where all of these guys hit their. They're talented. There's no doubt. Right. Yeah. And and going back to what you said about D'Angelo Russell, like I agree that that trade was a bad idea, but you can even understand it from their perspective because at that time they're already like four years into Cat's career, and like I get it. And they had the one year with Jimmy Butler, but beyond that, like there's nothing there. And so you mm-hmm. kind of understand why they felt the need, like we have to do something. And of course, now you're in year seven of Cat, and yeah, they're just a, they're just an endlessly fascinating team to me. Yeah, you, they have just pushed all the wrong buttons while while also having tremendous luck because it takes luck to get Anthony Edwards. It oh, takes it, luck to get Towns. Like they've had treme- they've had all the luck without the preparation, and the, and you're seeing what happens when it's all luck. No preparation. Yeah, the, the, this is what this is what you get. The luck with Anthony Edwards, especially how some people talked about that pick at the time, like you really couldn't ask for a better outcome through you know no. rookie season and ten games. Like it's been right. incredible. Like that they, they that yeah. looks like it was a good pick, 
and yet still all of this is going on. So another team I'm just going to be following this season. <laughs> I love the Wolves. <laughs> Not too dissimilar from this Wolf situation. We're about to talk Blazers right after this quick break. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Andrew, it is time once again for the Wheel of Fandom, the segment each week where we spin a digital wheel, it lands on a random NBA team, and we become fans of that team for the next week. This week, our Wheel of Fandom team is the Portland Trailblazers. On the court, the Blazers had a so-so week, winning games against the Pacers and Lakers, followed up by road losses to the Clippers and Suns. Off the court, however, the Blazers were much more interesting. At the end of last week, we learned that the Blazers would be opening an investigation into Blazers GM Neil Olshay based on concerns around a toxic workplace environment. And then two hours before recording, we learned that Blazers president Chris McGowan would be stepping down, replaced by Dwayne Hankins. Andrew, who is going to help us understand what the hell is going on with the Blazers? (laughs) We've got Danny Morang, who is from Blazers Edge and the host of the Jacked Ramsey's podcast. Danny, what's up? Well, not much, guys. Uh, well, that's a lie. Everything is up. <laughs> Everybody's waiting for the other shoe to drop. It is it like it. It is full on meme material. You know, it's the uh, guy standing over somebody else's grave saying, "I'm at my hater's funeral." My you know, hater at my funeral. Uh, they're lining up the caskets. Like it's just like I, I have yet to see anybody be like but will anybody think of Neil? And it's just, <laughs> that's kind of where we are right now. Like, you, 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 like whether it's a beat reporter, whether it's somebody immediately like, yeah, no, he's a jerk. Like nobody's sticking their neck out one way or another in that regard. And that's before we even get to the basketball side of things where they were lucky to have a Pacers and Lakers team. Otherwise they would have looked really bad for this week. So yeah, yeah, it's uh, there's a lot going on. All right, Danny, let's start with the news that broke early Friday. Blazers' current president is stepping down, being replaced just a week after the Olshay investigation was announced. Normally, this type of move wouldn't be of interest to most NBA fans. But in light of the Olshay investigation, people are wondering what, if any, connection there is to what's going on with Olshay. What was your immediate reaction to this story? And how do you think it fits into the larger dysfunction that seems to be going on with the Blazers right now? So Chris Haynes originally broke the news, and I believe my first tweet was, what? Because uh, that was not the tweet that I expected this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, it, McGowan uh, was in the last year of his contract, um, was up in June. Um, after talking to a few people, was able to figure out kind of what the situation is. And it sounds like he's just moving on. And if the Blazers are going to be making a bunch of other moves, this maybe sounds a little bit weird, but probably a good idea for him to skedaddle too. Um, it's unrelated to Neil for almost entire, excuse me, entirely from what I've been told. Um, like I said, he's been here just as long as Neil. I believe he was hired two weeks before Neil, if I remember right. But uh, he came up from the LA Kings and kind of helped get them established. And he's been, you know, doing things here uh, for the last decade. And I think he's just getting ready to move on. 
Uh, and if they're going to, you know, clear out the, the basketball side of things, maybe it made sense if he wasn't going to return mm-hmm. to go ahead and clear out the business side of things as well. And uh, his replacement, uh, Dwayne, is, is kind of his understudy came in. Uh, actually, Chris brought him in. So the transition there was very, very natural. And you don't have to go out of house to go looking for somebody. And that kind of gives you the, the, the oh, OK, because they number one, they stayed in house. So. It's probably not related to Neil. Two, right. you've got everybody wishing fond farewells to him, so it's probably not related to that. So <laughs> there's plenty of public things you can look at and go, oh, okay, this tracks. But don't get me wrong, like I was all, it's always sunny and behind me. Like I was connecting dots, drawing lines, you know, like I literally have a tinfoil hat on the floor next to me. Like I was, I was ready to go. So, um, but it is, not, it is not one of those. It just, uh, I think he kind of saw what was, what was going on. It was like, listen, I'm not going to be here for the long haul anyway. So I'm going to go ahead and peace out. Right. Yeah. yeah well, that, it's interesting you mentioned the tinfoil because last week two of the big stories you know dame comes out with this chris haynes article you know reasserting his commitment to portland then a few days later you have the olshay report coming out what like what are some blazers fans theories about the timing of these two things like why was it even necessary for dame to come out with that why does is it is there a coincidence that the olshay report comes out a few days after that like what is going on here so I think there is a bit of coincidence that I think part of it, the, the Dame stuff was because they have been playing. So they have been playing so poorly and Dame in particular had the worst stretch of his career. Um, I, I think that was what's been really strange about the season, right? Is Dame started this season basically by grabbing the mic at home and going, Hey guys, going to need you all to be patient with us. This is going to be a bit of a transition. And I don't think he realizes just how foreboding that actually was now. Right. Um, but not just obviously the basketball stuff, but everything and not even just the off the court, but just, the general vibes of the team. So there's like two different sets of vibes. There's the basketball vibes, which they sucked. Like you, you watch this starting lineup and it's like, that doesn't look right. You watch the bench unit and you're like, oh, that looks better. But then around the organization, there's no feel goods. There's there's none of that. You talk to anybody, whether they work in basketball ops or business ops or any of that, it's just like, it doesn't feel good. And then you get the, the Olshay news, which as far as I've been able to figure it out, it sounds like that is entirely just it was spun up kind of that day. Hmm. Like it, it literally was, it went from a report to an HR representative and then up the chain and then boom, it happened because wow. that night at that game, Jody Allen, and Neil Olshay were together yucking it up. Hmm. And we got three hours later, the report, you know, comes out. So listen, the Blazers have made plenty of missteps. I would like to think they've learned at least from some of them. If the report was made and Jody and the Vulcans were made aware of it before this, and they were still out there yucking it up with Neil, Yikes. Yeah. 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 That's hmm. crazy. Uh, let's move to some on the court issues. Uh, in the preseason, there was some optimism that the defense may be improved as a result of some scheme changes. But we're through 12 games of the season. They're at a 108.7 defensive rating, which is 22nd in the league. Last year, they were 29th. So there's been some improvement relative to the rest of the league, but probably not as much as Blazers fans were hoping. But have you seen anything thus far that gives you hope that the defense can be at least league average by the end of the season? No. No. If Daniel Lillard and CJ McCollum are on this team, no. No. Listen, can they be better? Yes. But by removing Carmelo Anthony and Ennis Cantor being on the, on the floor at the same time, that made them better. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's... that's I, I, I hate having to say this all the time. This is like... I'm very much... 80% of what happens on a basketball court, maybe more, is players. It's players, it's personnel, yep. it's it's getting the right things. Everybody wants to say, well, Steve Kerr really got it going. Really? Did, or did he get a bunch of 24 to 26-year-old guys like budding going into their primes and their perfect years and their four Hall of Famers plus incredibly elite role players? And he just decided, 
oh, David Lee's injured. Let me put Draymond Green on the floor and poof, you know, like things happen. Like right. very Jeff Goldblum, you know, it finds a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's kind of the NBA in a, in a, in a nutshell. Um, the Blazers are not going to find a way unless they get the right genetic code in there, right? Uh, and they have failed uh, over and over again, which goes back to Neil Olshay, as far as not having wing depth, not having size, uh, not being able to guard really uh, at the point of attack for six years. So um, you can scheme away all you want. Here's the thing. If you want to look for the positive side of things, the way I can't remember who said it first, but I like, I like this framing. They could suck on defense or they could suck and be disruptive. They have chose to suck and be disruptive, mm-hmm. which is better than just sucking. So <laughs> right. I think that's where you go like, okay, yeah, the playing Nurkic up above the free throw line is going to be problematic because number one, he's going to get tired, which he's playing a career low minutes here in Portland right now. Um, but, but you may get some more disruption. I think he's like sixth in the league in deflections. So hmm. like you're, you're getting some additional things. The flip side of that is they're the worst transition team in basketball. So how much is that really worth it in the long run? I think it's a bigger discussion, but just defensively alone, maybe that additional oomph gets them a little bit, but through 12 games, it really just hasn't been there. If you look at the games they've won, they, they bludgeoned a horrible Laker team, and it was a game that they won by 15, but they shot 38-29 from the field. Hmm. 38 from the field, 29% from three, I think is what it was. And I think the Lakers shot 33-23, I'm remembering <laughs> right. So basically, they play anybody else in the league that night. They get stomped. But because the Lakers are over that night were the worst team in basketball, it was like, oh, it's a win. It's a win over the Lakers. Yeah, it's a two-game winning streak. And the Pacers are you know falling over their own feet. So there's so much variance and so much noise statistically in the Blazers' profile right now. It's hard to get a handle on it other than go, they're giving me a, 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 a lot of corner threes, which they didn't do previously. They're good at the rim defensively, and they are getting murdered at the point of attack. Those are the three things you can take away from this defense right now. Everything else is very much, mm, I don't know, still Damon CJ. Hmm. Well, one of the other concerns that you brought up, obviously, is the play of Dame, who is shooting 25% from three, 38% overall, averaging the fewest points per game since his rookie season. We've heard about a lingering abdominal injury. There's also the new ball, the rule changes, and just the general uneasiness about Dame's situation in Portland. Which of those factors or combination of factors do you think are most responsible for this early season slump? If I'm, if I'm grabbing at the scale, I'm putting most of it on injury. Okay. Um, he has not looked right once this season. They, they, they played the shorthanded 76ers team. Uh, no Joel Embiid, no Tobias Harris, obviously no Ben Simmons. Danny Green was out at halftime. So you've got like half of a defender on the floor at any given time. And Dame couldn't clear space. He, he had Andre Drummond on a switch and couldn't get by big penguin. Hmm. Damian Lillard blows by the best perimeter defenders in the league on a regular. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not a thing. He hits that right to left split crossover. He splits double teams from premier defenders regularly. He hasn't done that this year. He rim checked himself on a dunk. Like it's just, he's not, he's not right. I don't, he says that, oh, it's just a little thing. Oh, okay, cool. I've got 12 games worth of film that shows you can't get by anybody consistently throughout the season. Yeah. So, like, is there other stuff impacting it? Absolutely. I, I, I believe he has both feet in on Portland, but I also believe there's a tear in his heart as far as, like, knowing that this team isn't what it needs to be. Yeah. I, I, I do genuinely believe that. Like, and you look at his last six months, whether it's the incredibly disappointing uh, loss to the Nuggets, his, you know, IG post, the Nipsey hustle, you know, cryptic stuff. 
Um, and then his discussions about coaching searches with Jason Kidd, Chauncey Phillips, you throw that in there. Then you get the Olympics where, you know, are you leaving? Are you staying? Constant questions, questions, questions. Then fly overseas to Japan during COVID. Deal with all of that. Have the abdominal issue there. Come back. Get married. Go on a honeymoon. Oh, yeah. Then come back to a new season with a new coach and then deal with all the stuff of stock again. Yeah. So if you're saying that doesn't impact you, you're lying through your teeth. So throw in mental, physical exhaustion, physical ailments, and then sprinkle in a little change of uh, philosophy in basketball for what you've been doing for 20 years. And yeah, I think it all comes together to form this because you look at his performances the last couple of nights, they're getting better, but he's shooting less threes. That tells me either he's got the yips, which I don't think is the case, or he doesn't have the strength to, to get as many threes off, yeah. which again, you're talking about core and abdominal issues. So mm-hmm. um, he's going through it right now. There's no doubt about it, but this isn't new for him as far as going through it. He's dealt with his abdominal thing. He's dealt with injuries, with hand injuries, with plantar fasciitis. Like he is, the dude is, he's kind of Irison esque in that he just plays through stuff and doesn't make excuses when in reality somebody should grab him by the neck and sit him down. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's shift to something positive. I'd like to bring some positivity to the podcast. <laughs> let's let's talk about Anthony Simons. He's oh, al- okay. always been a good three-point shooter, but he seems to have expanded his offensive game this season. What have you seen from Simons' development so far that excites you? Listen, now you're now you're, you know, right in my niche. Uh Ant's my guy. Yeah. Uh when they drafted him, I, I looked at him and went, "Listen, I don't know what else he can do, but he can shoot and he can get his shot off against anybody in the NBA." Uh, now it turns out he can do that and attack guys off the bounce. Um, the most detrimental thing for Anthony Simons over the last two years is Carmelo Anthony. Hmm. Carmelo Anthony took his role basically of like, go get buckets. Hmm. And he just didn't know how to fit in because he wasn't really a creator yet. His whole time playing growing up was just shoot and score. I talked to him about like, Hey, how do you develop your game? He goes, I really haven't had to like every level I've ever been at. I could get my shot off against anybody. I haven't needed to go to the rim. I could just shoot over anybody anytime I ever wanted to. And Phil Beckner told a story through Jason Quick on the Athletic that was great about how uh, Phil had him late one night and he was gave him like this four minute like fire and brimstone speech of just lighting him up. And Aunt just stared at, stared at him like, "Hey, can we go do this over in the kitchen? I want to get some cereal." And <laughs> Phil just lost his mind. <laughs> like, I can't work with you. I can't deal with you. Uh-huh. And but Aunt, I guess after that night, kind of figured it out like okay, I need to work and I need to concentrate on doing this, this, and this. And so he went and did his 10 pounds of muscle. Uh, not actually, cause he can't actually put on weight. It's one of his biggest frustrations. He wants to get bigger, but he realized number one, he can't. And number two, he plays better lighter. So, um, but he committed himself to the game and it's, I think he's sixth right now in off the bench scoring. Um, he's in a little bit of a funk right now. Uh, last night, um, uh, against the, uh, Good Lord, against the Suns, Phoenix, he, yeah. uh, he struggled He struggled for the first time without really having anything else offering. He's had two other poor shooting nights where he managed to get some rebounds, get some steals, uh, still run the offense, get some assists, get some hockey assists. Last night was his first real just pure struggle night. So how he bounces back against the, the Houston Rockets is going to be interesting, but uh, he's, he's scoring on every level. Uh, his shot diet has changed from, I think it was almost 80% threes last year. Yeah, I um, saw that. His three-point attempt rate, yeah. Which you're, you're okay with because he's a 44% three-point shooter. Right. Like he's, yeah. mm-hmm. he's in the upper, upper echelon. It's not just catch and shoot. It's off the bounce. It's off the right, off the left, step back, has he pull-ups. That's the big change, honestly, this year. His pull-up uh, percentage uh, uh, attempts and pull-up uh, make percentages are both way up this year. Last I looked, well, they may have changed a little bit after last night, but they were both around 45% last year, So or uh, this year. Mm. So 
Uh, and that's not just the three-point range. That's the mid-range. So he's opening his game up a ton. And, and this is a long roundabout way to say the kid's always had it. It's just been about confidence and knowing what to do. And he's got full confidence. There's nobody looking over his shoulder. There's nobody asking him to do other things or saying, hey, go get buckets. And so he's going out there and he's scoring with, with authority. Final question for you, Danny. This team, obviously, as we talked about, feels prime for a shakeup. Maybe it's felt that way for a few seasons now. If you were put in charge of the Blazers tomorrow, which the way things are going, who knows? What, I'll get a call, too. What would be your top priorities in revamping this roster? Uh, size and athleticism. That's the big thing. It always has been. They, they, oh, size, athleticism, and playmaking. So that's a roundabout way of saying, hey, Ben Simmons, want to come to Portland? Mm, okay. Um, <laughs> listen, before the, the, the non-dunk from Ben Simmons, I think I tweeted out like two or three days before. I was like, man, you know, it'd be crazy if the Blazers offered like CJ and three firsts for Ben. Yeah. yeah. Like that like that would be like, that's about right. I think that's about right value. And like, I mean, you get the best probably point of attack defender in the NBA. You get size. You get probably one of the five or six best creators. You alleviate the two major issues that Damian Lillard has to deal with, which he's not a great defender. And you take away some of the playmaking burden. I'm like, that's probably Andy 6'10". I'm like, that's probably a lot of like a really good stuff, right? Yeah. And then that dunk or the non-dunk happens and I go, oh, the value just went down. But listen, if today they put me in charge, I'd still offer that. I'd still offer CJ and three first for Ben. I don't care how broken he is because you got to take that swing. The next thing I do is I'd package up Covington and Nurkic and I try to track down Mo Bamba or Miles Turner. Hmm. Give me some floor spacing. Give me some size and athleticism. I love Nurk. He just can't move his feet uh, and he can't play more than 25 minutes a night without being, you know, completely and totally gassed. He's just a monster human being. So those are the things that I would look to do is just get demonstrably bigger, stronger, more athletic, uh, a little bit more floor balance. I think if you if you could parlay those three guys in a pile of picks into Ben Simmons and Turner or Ben Simmons and Bamba, I think you're you're cooking with gas then because you allow yourself to be able to do a lot of different things. I love the Bamba love. It's just that's just great. Listen, man, I had him at Hoop Summit here, and I've yeah. been I've been a Bamba guy since day one, and. I thought he had the wrong people around him and sure. the wrong attitude. And I was like, mm, this is not going to go well, but he seems to have figured it out. So yeah, he's been good this year. Uh, I, I hope, I hope that is the case, but I hope he doesn't play himself into a position where he's un, you know, ungettable at any point in time. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f- best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, Danny, thank you so much for answering our questions. It is now time to play Andrew versus the Beat, our weekly game show where Andrew goes head-to-head with a beat writer for an NBA team. This week, of course, Danny Morang of the Jacked Ramsey's podcast. How this works, Danny, is I've come up with eight Blazers trivia questions. Uh, you will give me a number between one and eight. That will correspond to a question. It may be easy, maybe hard. If you get it right, you get two points. If you get it wrong, Andrew have a chance to steal for one, and then we'll go back and forth until all the questions have been asked and answered. So, Danny, start me off with a number between one and eight. I'm going to go with uh, seven, Mr. Brandon Roy. Question number seven. Which former Blazer said the following? We're not really going to worry about what the hell the fans think about us. They don't really matter to us. They can boo us every day, but they're still going to ask for our autographs if they see us on the street. That's why they're fans and we're NBA, NBA players. Now, I remember the era, and I just can't remember. I want to say it's Bonzi. That is correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was either, it was either Bonzi or Ruben. I couldn't remember which one said it. Well, I was just watching last night. Secret Base on YouTube just put up a Jailblazers like 20-minute documentary. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had gotten that quote before, and of course, they flashed it real big. I was like, oh, I hope you guys haven't watched it because that will be super easy. <laughs> um, okay. Shout out, Kofi. <laughs> Andrew, you're next. Already down. Number one. Question number one. When Portland was deciding on a name for their new basketball team, they held a name the team contest. After receiving over 10,000 entries, the winning name was not the Trailblazers, which was actually the runner up. Which Mm. of the following was the actual winning name of Portland's name the team contest? So I'm going to give you five names. One of them is the correct name. Okay. The Doug Furs, the Explorers, the Crows, the Pioneers, the Lumberjacks. So once again, that's the Doug Furs, Explorers, Crows, Pioneers, or Lumberjacks. I'll say the Pioneers. Andrew, that is absolutely correct. I was hoping you were going to go Lumberjacks so I could come in and be like, that's the actual lacrosse team in Portland. (laughs) (laughs) Defunct defunct indoor lacrosse team, yes. Uh, Yes, I I believe. Who are are the pioneers? Somebody is already the pioneers in Portland, which is why they couldn't choose it. They've brought it back a couple different times. Okay. So, yeah, it's back and forth. All right. So, back to Danny. We're tied 2-2. Give me the, uh, the Rudy Fernandez special. Number five. Number five. This blazer holds the franchise record for most three-point attempts in a game with 21 three-pointers. Ooh, 21 threes. It's not, I don't think Dame has gotten that volume. So I'm going to go outside the box. I'm going to go Kiki. Kiki Vandaway. Kiki Vandaway. That is incorrect. Andrew, you have a chance to steal for one point. Who holds the franchise record? Most three-pointers in a game, 21 threes. It's just attempts, obviously. Just attempts, yeah. (laughs) That would be a lot of points. What about Seth Curry? Seth Curry? Yeah. No. He did have one bonkers game. I will give you that. I think he had like a 14 attempt. I'm just trying to think off the wall, Al. Just leave me alone, will you? Andrew, it wasn't bonkers enough. It was 
Damon Stoudemire, another name, wow. another name. Oh, man. Okay, back to Andrew. Uh, number two. Still tied 2-2. Okay, Andrew, this is the question I told you about previously, oh, but great. I had no idea if you would have any idea. Which current GM was once the coach of the Portland Trailblazers? I don't know. I have no idea. Oh, Andrew, are you passing? I'm passing. I have no clue. I'm just trying to think, like Nate McMillan, Rick Adelman, Dunleavy. I don't know. None of them. Okay, uh, Danny, any guesses? I'm actually struggling with this. Really? Oh, very interesting. So Dunleavy's not a GM. Dunleavy Jr.'s behind. Millen's not. Cheeks isn't. (laughs) Who? Oh, my God. Petrie's not a GM anymore. (laughs) I don't know. Who is it? Yeah, I've got nothing. He only coached 27 games. In the 04-05 season, I'm, of course, talking about current Pacers GM, Kevin Pritchard. Oh, my God. I forgot they had KP as the interim. Kevin Pritchard coached 27 games. I never knew that. He went 5-22. and 22. Yeah. Wasn't great. So the, I was actually in the Air Force then, and that makes a ton of sense. I vaguely remember yeah. that. No, like, no reason to remember that stretch. Get away from yeah. that era. Oh, yeah, yeah no. Listen, yeah, no I came back in 06, and I was like, I'm glad I missed that. <laughs> okay, so we're back to Danny. It's still tied 2 2. Oh, all right. Give me a little Steve Smith. Number eight. Number I can do these for eight. everyone's numbers, by the way. <laughs> in the 2007 draft, the Blazers selected Greg Oden, number one overall. After a knee injury, Oden's rookie season was the 08 09 season in which he played 61 games. That season, Portland had three other rookies who all played at least 50 games for the Blazers. Name all three. Now, for this one, I will give you one point per correct answer. So you can just shout them out as you think of them. Okay, so this is 07, 08. Uh, so this is 08, 09. 08, 09. Yes. Yeah, let's, let's throw out Bayless, Jared Bayless. That is um, correct. Okay, uh, if that's the same year, is that Nolan Smith and Elliot Williams? No, that's next year. They, that whole like three year period just blends together. Good God. Um, <laughs> they had so many awful guards. It's frustrating. We're breaking oh, Danny's brain. No, live on the pod. Like I try to get that air out because they blew so many guard draft picks that those, those years. Screw it. Just go with Bayless. That's all I got. Okay. Andrew, uh, you still have a chance to claim two points here. Hmm. If you can think of some Blazers uh, rookies. Dunk contests participant rudy fernandez that is correct oh see i thought rudy was the brandon year god dang it (laughs) and i think this is batum as well andrew that is also correct oh my god i thought nick was the year before too you got both andrew you are now in the league four to three we have uh three questions left andrew it is your turn okay number three question number three the blazers have had three players win the Most Improved Player Award. Name all three. I will give you one point per correct answer. Um, what about CJ? Okay, that is correct for one okay. point. <sighs> Lord. Any other guesses, Andrew? You continue to heavy sigh. I don't feel like that's helping know. you. I give up. Okay. Give up. Danny, any guesses? Mm. CJ was the one I knew. Hmm. Well, that's unfortunate. <sighs> yeah. I knew that one was for sure. I want to say it was one of Brandon or LaMarcus, but I can't remember. <sighs> Screw it, LaMarcus. That is incorrect. The other two names, <sighs> Kevin Duckworth, wasn't expecting that. <laughs> but the other one, Zebo. 
Zemo. Uh, okay, I knew Zemo. one of them had one of those years where they went from a, a backup to, to the front and went nuts. Okay, now Danny, you're down uh, five to three, but you can tie it up here. We have a uh, six and four left. Oh God, give me number six. Damian Lillard is currently tenth all time in the NBA for most career three pointers. We're going to try to name the nine guys ahead of him. Now, how this works, Danny, you're going to give me a name. Then Andrew will give me a name. We'll go back and forth until one of you stumbles. So we're naming the top nine in NBA history for career three-pointers made. Okay, I'll start easy. Ray Allen. That is correct. Number one, Andrew. Steph Curry. Yes. (laughs) He's number two overall. Back to Danny. Reggie Miller. Number three. Look at you guys. One, two, three. Okay, Andrew, can you make it? I'm going down in order in my head. Can you make it four in a row, Andrew? Who did he just say? I'm sorry. I don't know. I'm not. You should have been paying attention. Part of the rules. <laughs> please don't do this. Please, me. please repeat the name. I dare you. Makes it even harder because it's like now you think of a name and you're like, well, did Danny just say that? I have no idea. I know. <laughs> Kyle Corver. Kyle Corver, number five overall. Pretty close. Uh, I'm going to go with Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd. That is incorrect. What? Jason Kidd. Uh, I mean, I will double check, but the names I have, James Harden, number four, Vince Carter, number six, Jason Terry. Oh, God, I said kid, not Oh, about. no. <laughs> oh, my God. I go, oh, my God. I hate you, Kirk. God, you had that stupid coach on my mind. Oh, my God. I'm just an idiot. The other two, uh, Jamal Crawford and Paul Pierce. Oh, my God. That's so bad. Wow. All right. Now, Andrew. I can't believe I said kid. Uh, you you get the first dibs at the final question. Danny, don't give up yet. Because if Andrew doesn't mm. get this right, I will give you a chance to tie. Because mm. listen to this. Andrew. Okay. How many Blazers have been named to an all-NBA first team? You don't have to give me who they are. You just have to tell me the number. Now, if you get this wrong, here's what I'm going to do for Danny. Danny, if you can name all of them. We'll, we'll call it a tie game. But Andrew, it's up to you first. You could win it right here. You just have to give me the number. You don't have to tell me who the players' names are. Two. Two. That is incorrect. Okay, so now it goes to Danny. Danny, if you can tell me the correct number of Blazers who have been named to the All-NBA first team and then give me the names. And if you want to just start naming them off, that'd be a fun way to do it too. I'm going to say... Three. Okay. I will tell you that that is correct. Okay. But now you have to name all three. But that that makes it that makes it a little bit easier. I don't. Dame hasn't been named to a first team, has he? So, Drexler. That is correct. You now have four points. It is now four to six. Walton. That is correct. It is now five to six. Danny's within one point. Now, is it Dame or is it LaMarcus who made the first team? I don't think Dame's made a first team. Can he tie it up? God dang it. (sighs) He made a first team. Didn't he he make a first team? (sighs) Screw it. I'm going to say Dame. Damian Lillard. Did Damian Lillard make an all-NBA first team? He did in 2017-18. Yeah. I, I knew there was one in there. I'm like, 
because I'm like, LaMarcus was always second. Dame's always been second or third. Like, wait, there was an injury year where Dame made it, I swear. Danny has come all the way back with the last question to tie it up. Andrew, that is your second tie on Andrew versus the Beat. What an exciting wow. finish. Wow. I still can't believe I said Jason Kidd and not Jason Perry. <laughs> I'm going to blame the vertigo on that one, okay? <laughs> God. We'll, we will accept the vertigo. Uh... Yeah, man. A second, man. second you said Terry, I was like, didn't I say? No, I didn't say Terry. I said, kid, I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Danny, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Everybody go listen to Danny's podcast. Uh, tell us tell us where you can find the pod. It's on Blue, a part of Blue Wire, right? Yes, absolutely. Jack Ramsey is part of Blue Wire Network. You can find it on YouTube at youtube.com backslash Danny Morang. That way I can always control the rights. Uh, you can find me on social media at Danny Morang as well. We do pre and post game shows. And then we have a couple uh, pretty two, three, four times a month, probably almost almost weekly uh, breakdowns of uh, things I like to see. Awesome. Thanks so much, Danny. Hey, anytime, guys. Y'all take care. Okay, Andrew, it is time once again to spin the wheel of fandom. We have gotten to the final two teams, which means we're going to find out which team we're doing this week. We're also going to find out which team we're doing next week. Yep. The final two teams, the Pacers and the Hornets. My my wheel is just two names <laughs> splitting the circle in half, and we're going to spin that wheel and see who we get. Oh, no. All right, here we go. Next week's team will be the Pacers or Hornets. It will be... Oh, Indiana baby. Pacers. Here we go. Let's talk about the most confusing team in the NBA, and the that, Indiana Pacers. And that means what? two weeks from now, we'll be uh, checking out the Hornets. So that should be fun. Talk, hey, maybe we can get Eric Collins on the pod. Oh, my just, gosh. What a dream just, that would be. Just to scream. <laughs> scream at me, Eric. A half an hour. Yeah. I would love to I'd love to know what it'd be like to uh, beat him in a trivia competition. Like, oh, my gosh. Say? That'd be so what much fun. Say? we got to see if we can make that happen. Uh, thanks so much for listening to the Saturday Slam and Jam. Uh, I have some reviews to read to you guys from Apple Podcasts. Remember, you can post a five-star review on the Athletic NBA show. Make sure that you write something about the Saturday Slam and Jam podcast, and then we will read it on the show. This one comes from the original Brody, and the review says, Love all the pods on the feed. But the Saturday Slam and Jam is incredible. There's nothing that gets me ready for the weekend like Alex doing everything he can to make Andrew look ridiculous. Hashtag Andrew versus the beat. Hashtag Saturday Slam and Jam. Thank you so much for that. And then our next one comes from Chef Onage. And Chef Onage says, Worth subscribing for Slam and Jam alone. Great chemistry, slick production, and always a laugh. Andrew and Alex are as knowledgeable about the league at large as anybody else out there. Thank you so much for those reviews. It really means a lot to us. Leave us a review. We'll read it on the pod the following week. Hope you guys have a great weekend. Enjoy the basketball. And we will talk to you guys again next week.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.